Welcome to the Brilliant Perth Podcast. This is your host, Dylan Lamb. In this week's episode, I'm leaning into digital transformation, technology and education, and systemic design. I'm chatting with two brilliant Americans from Catholic Education Western Australia. They both work in their digital transformation team. The first one is Dr. Juno Kelly, Head of Teaching Analytics, and the second brilliant gentleman is Ezard Bryant Jr., who is their Head of Learning and Design. Without further ado, we'll dive into the episode. So I'm here at uh, Catholic Education Western Australia uh, with Juno and Ezard. Yes. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So I thought we'd uh, have a chat on the show this week about um, the future of education and about digital transformation. And I've been really impressed um, by some of the work that the um, CWA, the Catholic Education Western Australia, has been doing um, across sort of all their schools in WA. Um, so they've kindly invited me here today um, to have a chat um, with two awesome guys from the Digital Transformation team. So before we sort of jump into the boring stuff and the job titles and what you guys do, I thought I'd ask you a question about what is your most memorable educational experience? All right. Do you want to start? Um, yeah, I can go first. So as we're here, um, for me... I think I was working in I was working in um, teacher training at the time, teacher education at one of the universities back in the states, and we were working on a government program to um, kind of upskill um, some of the teachers in in different countries. In this case, we were working um, in the DR, and I was still also doing my duties at the university, which was doing teacher training of the university kids who were coming up, and we. The system, they kind of double booked us, me and my partner, who we were doing the training with. And uh, we got to, we drove, we flew down to the DR, we were set to do our training in the DR in Dominican Republic uh, with these teachers. And then someone goes, hey, you still have your class to teach. And I got my, I got, we got on um, at the time with Skype and told everyone to get into the room, go into Skype, and we'll just do the training there. And that was their first, it was actually their first experience to do a live class virtually because um, every other time we've done face-to-face. And the fact that we were able to get actual engagement from our hotel room on a compu- laptop computer with our uh, university students in, back in Florida from the Dominican Republic while we were at the DR was really, really eye-opening for them. And then the fact that it was very successful for us was really exciting. And then that afternoon, just go and work with um, the, the teachers in the Dominican Republic in a different language where we had to get translated and everything. But there was two different types of um, teachers, two different delivery methods, everything, and it just kind of worked on the same day, which was really awesome. I still remember that, and that's kind of the stuff we're pushing here, I guess, with um, some of the virtual learning opportunities here that um, we can actually share a little bit more broadly than we have in the past with the knowledge we know, the content we have, and stuff like that. So that I remember that one pretty well. That was about ooh, eight, ten years ago. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. It's a great story, as a <laughs> yep. Cool. Um, well, I guess for me, yeah, and this is uh, Gino. Um, mine started back uh, my first year teaching. Um, so I was a, a secondary math teacher. Uh, so I started my career, and I remember um, in my school, it was a brand new school that had just opened up, and uh, I was all of uh, 21 years old at the time. Um, and I remember um, my class had a, uh, we, we were fortunate in that we had a class set of laptops, right? Um, and, and back in those days, if I can say that, um, you know, that was a very new thing. And so um, I was very eager to try these things out. And so I created, you know, fancy PowerPoints, et cetera, to give to the students. Uh, each of my students had a, a laptop. And I remember um, the principal walking in and, uh, you know, uh, me being so excited, you know, to uh, be using this technology, um, and the principal walked in and saw the, the these laptops being used, um, and everything was great, right? And so I was walking around, um, and I remember one of the kids um, had said to me, "Hey, um, you know, I love using these laptops and all that, but you know, 
how, how is this any different from like you just teaching us? <laughs> and that was kind of an epiphany for me because it made me really think about, well, why am I doing this, right? Um, and so uh, the more that I learned about you know, this, this brand new uh, way of teaching with technology, the more I realized that I was uh, very ill-prepared to use a technology in any types of uh, effective or anything meaningful ways. And so that prompted me to go back to school at the time and um, actually get um, you know, a couple of degrees in, in how you actually use technology effectively uh, within the classroom. And uh, when I got into the program, um, you know, I, I realized real quickly that um, there was a lot of learning to be done uh, in terms of, you know, how you use technology. And so um, for me, you know, uh, we've been fighting this battle for a long time uh, in education on, you know, the effective use of technology. And for a long time, uh, there was a huge debate um, between two prominent um, researchers at the time, uh, one named Clark and one named Cosma. And uh, this debate basically re revolved around, you know, the effective use of uh, technology in the classroom, where one side said, well, you know, you will never be able to, technology will never be able to replace the teacher um, because ultimately you still need that wiser other, right, uh, to be uh, the one that helps students uh, along their path of, of knowledge acquisition. And then the other side, you know, is saying, yes, but, you know, technology may help accelerate or augment those experiences and so back and forth. Uh, they went in this debate, and we've been having the same debate, I would say now, for almost 20 years, right? Uh, we're 20 years still on, and uh, even coming here uh, into into our system, uh, we've come across situations where, um, you know, we find that, that some educators are still having those those debates, uh, but we're, we're, we're beyond those debates, right? Uh, we understand now that um, technology as, as, as a whole has the potential to uh, really accelerate learning in different ways. Um, but we can't swing the pendulum so much uh, in that, you know, we make technology kind of our savior, so to speak, um, but rather, you know, be more thoughtful in the ways that we use the technology. And so uh, I guess for both uh, Ezard and I, um, you know, our, our premise, uh, you know, of this digital transformation program that we're, we're involved in now is to think about, you know, what are those ways, right, that can help promote some of this more meaningful type work uh, that both teachers and students can do um, and the experiences that they can have, uh, all of which could, could potentially be augmented by the technology. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I didn't think that that question was going to lead so much <laughs> into our, um, our chat here today. Thank, thank you both. Um, does, does one of you maybe want to tell us a bit about the um, Catholic Education Western Australia and sort of your, the scope that you guys are working in? Sure. So Catholic Education Western Australia um, is a wonderful system of uh, you know, 162 schools uh, spread across the state. Um, and we have schools uh, you know, that are in urban areas where they may have a few thousand students, um, all the way through schools that are in very remote areas in the Kimberley, uh, which may have maybe 10 students. And so we have a very diverse population of both uh, educators and students um, and schools. Um, that creates some interesting challenges, uh, one of which is uh, resourcing. So uh, we have some schools certainly that have uh, the resources available uh, to be able to provide uh, students with more opportunities for different types of courses, as an example. Uh, whereas uh, some of our smaller schools may not have those, those same opportunities. Um, but what we found, is, is, as I mentioned earlier, is that um, the platform or the technology that's uh, being embedded uh, within Catholic education has now provided uh, those, those smaller schools that maybe didn't have resources before with an opportunity not to have those, um, either through virtual learning or blended learning, et cetera. And so um, our system uh, has about uh, 75,000 students. Uh, we have about uh, 15,000 staff all up. Um, and so it's, again, a very, a very uh, vibrant community, community of, of educators. Um, who are um, every day uh, doing their very best uh, to provide uh, the very best experiences for our students. So, you know, for us, that's, that's obviously, um, you know, something that drives us each and every day. Um, and the whole purpose of what we're doing here is to serve our community in, in the best ways that we can. Um, specifically for us um, through, uh, you know, digital uh, technologies and initiatives. But what we found is that through this digital uh, transformation that we're going through, it's, um, broadened the scope, I guess, of the different teams that exist uh, within our system to rethink 
um, you know, some of the uh, processes, you know, that they may go through, whether they're at class level, uh, whether at the school level or at the system level. And so um, we started this journey about um, uh, two and a half years ago now, um, in uh, late 2016, um, our executive director at the time um, and his executive uh, were looking at ways of um, creating a more bold vision, I guess, uh, for Catholic education. Um, and to create that vision, to make that vision happen, uh, quickly realized that we needed an infrastructure, right, uh, to help support a lot of these initiatives. And so that's where the idea of Leading Lights came out. And so from then on, um, we were fortunate enough to uh, have been invited to come and, and be a part of this journey um, and have worked with uh, our system now for the last two years, implementing a lot of the tool sets uh, that you see. But more importantly than that, um, is helping uh, to manage the change that uh, often ends up happening you know, through these large transformations. Mm. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, Let's talk a bit about um, complexity, because sort of this is even through my own line of work now, um, you know, working in sort of what I'd call systemic design. We talk about this a lot. And um, when I first started working in this space, it was about, you know, being able to reduce and simplify complexity. But sort of where I'm at now is it's, it's about just getting comfortable with complexity. So how, like in the scope of sort of what you guys are doing, how have you... Um, working with the community or um, with teachers with schools to get comfortable with complexity? I, I think it's kind of like um, a continuum you're going through, right? So initially when you get anything with any change, it's that resistance happens first, right? Uh, I have my way, this is how we've done it, and, um, and this is how I would like it to stay. And then slowly, I think we start in, uh, working with different stakeholders and showing them different benefits, like showing them little wins that they can get by um, introducing some of the, the new things we want to do to better, that could potentially better their um, their, their roles, right? So as we started imp implementing these little wins, um, they actually started saying, well, we want more of this, and we want more of this. And so whether it was something small that helped me in my classroom or something small that helped me if I'm the finance or admin person at the school running the front desk, or something small as a win, as a principal talking to the board, what have you, that kind of made some schools actually hungrier for a little bit more complexity because they were gonna see um, a little bit more ease down the road if that makes, if that makes any sense. Um, and then as we move forward, we start building capacity within, within those stakeholders, within those schools to start making them champions to start moving forward within the rest of their school. So it's just kind of like spreads out like, I don't want to say virus because it has a bad connotation or weed, but you know, it starts to grow. It starts to catch on like fire, right? And, and, and it goes forward. And then now I think we're at the stage of where it's, um, the realization is we could do so much more if we make this investment here and here and here. And we're to the point of, of with some of our schools and staff, we want to make that investment. We just don't know how. Now they're starting to reach out. So that resistance has left, and now we're, they're reaching out for help and to make those investments to move forward. Um, yeah. yeah, and if I can just piggyback on, on that, um, you know, when you think about complexity um, and you think about uh, change management, you know, uh, oftentimes you, th you, you hear the phrase, change is hard, right? People don't like to change. And um, certainly there's truth to that, but I think um, there's, more, there's more to it than that, right? Um, I think it's not about change. Um, I think, quite honestly, people um, take change quite, quite well, you know, you change all the time. You just don't know it, right? Um, you know, and, and just as a simple example, you know, um, the way that you, uh, you know, are at, at the house, maybe the way that you, you know, act um, at the house may be a little bit different than the way that you act at work, right? That's a change that happens, but you do it quite easily. Um, teachers in general, I think, are very, um, not only open to change, uh, I think they're very good at change. Uh, they have to be because of the creative amount of work uh, that they have to do in order to, uh, you know, get a group of kids, you know, that are oftentimes uh, worried about other things or maybe thinking about other things, not necessarily school, uh, to be involved in that learning. And so um, I'm, I'm not sure it's that change is the right word. I think maybe um, habits would be probably a better word, right? It's, it's how do you change people's habits, uh, which I think goes along with what Ezra's saying. 
you know, and that's that's very difficult to do sometimes mm -hmm. because people are very set in their ways, right? And so you have to be able to provide opportunities for them uh, to see benefit and value, right? Um, what's in it for me kind of thing. Um, to be able then to, to say, you know, hey, well maybe, you know, this is the way that I've been doing it all along, um, but I realize that there's a more efficient or better way, right? Or I get more benefit out of, um, you know, doing this new way or, or whatever that way may be. And so if you can get, you know, the change of habit right, then that change will happen really easily. So for us, you know, we've gone through this, uh, uh, this, this journey from, you know, people thinking about um, or asking the question, why are you forcing me or making me do this, uh, to now, you know, uh, when can I have this? And you can't work fast enough to have this, right? And that's, yeah. a, that's a good change to have in terms yeah. of, you know, mindset. But it's, it's those habits, you know, those little wins, that, as they're talked about, where you show them value, you know, and it doesn't have to be large amounts of things that you do, but it's these, these small little, uh, you know, in the moment kind of uh, uh, wins, I guess, um, that allow people to see the value and then make that habit change, right? And so that for us, I think, uh, comes in the way of, um, you know, making them more aware of, uh, you know, some of the challenges that they may currently face and then some of the ways in which uh, at least in our in our scenario, um, the way in which the, t the technology could help them maybe make those changes more efficiently, right? And so once they see that, then they see value, um, they see themselves in it, um, and then they take ownership over that. Once they take ownership, uh, then they're better able to um, be a part of that change. Yeah. And I think if you go with that, um, once we once they get to a certain point within this continuum. We, maybe we had ideas for what we thought this change should look like and how it would benefit them. And they can just take it and, like, and they just fly with it and they go in directions we didn't even think of in a, in a good way, right? So, because now you're saying that ownership um, that they take control of, they, they make this blossom in a way you didn't expect, which is really good. And then that starts bringing um, more of the people that are still holding out a little bit longer just to see where it's going to go. It starts bringing more of their um, colleagues in as well, which is really good. Um, might put you on the spot a bit with this one, but I always like I'm a a, a big fan of design thinking, um, and I was thinking uh, maybe for the listeners of this episode who um, haven't been educated through a CEWA school, what's a day in the life of a of a student, whether it's a primary school or a high school? You know, are they using virtual reality and three D printing, or are they using iPads? Are they is everything on the cloud? Can you maybe just give us a bit of a snapshot of a day? at a school sure um, so th this is one of the the best parts of our job is is being able to um, you know describe some of the work that that our schools are doing but um, you know typically um, Catholic education one of the one of the key values I guess that separates it from other systems is that um, you know we're, we're solely focused on um, you know building relationships and the relationships that you can have with your peers um, your colleagues and certainly with uh, students in the sense of you know um, Teachers take great care um, to provide the best, uh, you know, opportunities for for their students. And so, uh, with technology, as it were, we have some schools that, um, you know, do robotics, right? Um, and so, you know, students that are uh, highly interested in computer science, as an example, um, are building, um, you know, algorithms uh, that make uh, robots go, right? Um, and are having competitions, you know, with other schools, um, and. You know, through that learning, through that process of learning, uh, they're they're not only gaining the skills that they need in terms of uh, computer science, hard skills, right, knowledge. Um, they're also gaining some softer skills, right. Um, things like uh, how to collaborate with one another, things like how to work as a team, uh, things like you know how to um, work in situations where maybe uh, your solution isn't the best solution, right. And these are all skills that you know over time uh, you need in the workplace. And so um, you also have examples of, say, younger ones, um, little ones actually, who are just starting out learning social cues, et cetera, uh, where teachers are guiding them through you know, small little journeys, um, but they're using technology to um, capture what those learning moments are like um, and then share those learning moments with parents you know, uh, so that you know, parents can see you know, uh, what their children are doing you know, throughout the day. Um, but not just parents, but maybe the extended family as well. So everyone uh, is a part of the community for that child um, and helps uh, in building, you know, not only the self-esteem of that child, uh, but then uh, being a part of that learning process for that child. So 
Um, we also have our um, online students. Um, so we have, as, as I mentioned, an online program that we started. Uh, it's about 18 months old. And we have about um, 150 students in the program now. And so these are students that are spread out across the state. Uh, the original intention of the program was to offer opportunities for year 11 and 12 uh, students who may not have had um, ATAR courses available at their school um, because of you know, resourcing, et cetera. And so the idea was, you know, can we provide an online opportunity for them to have access to this coursework? Well, the platform, uh, because we're all connected now, we're all under one, one platform, um, it's very easy to tap into the collective knowledge that exists within the system. And so um, these students now are able to stay in their home schools, but then take a course virtually with teachers in other parts of the state um, to get those credits. And so what you see for those students is that they'll go to their regular face-to-face -face classes, uh, but during the week, uh, they'll have timetabled in uh, opportunities for them then to do some of their online coursework. Uh, those students then have built their own community, virtual community, um, where they work with one another on these problems, um, you know, and uh, at the same time connect with the teacher uh, through synchronous um, video chats. And so, um, you know, for those students, uh, you know, it, it's been really um, a blessing, I guess, uh, for a lot of them. Uh, they've had a really wonderful time uh, getting to know their peers from other parts of the state that they would have, in uh, other circumstances, not been able to uh, meet. And then at the same time, um, you know, had a really good um, learning experience, uh, one that they haven't had before virtually, right? And so if you can think about, you know, uh, you go to four classes, you know, face-to-face -face as you would in your regular school, but then you get, you know, one or two uh, classes where you go and visit other students from other schools uh, in a virtual sense, you know? So there's a myriad of different um, ways in which, uh, you know, teachers here are finding ways of using technology um, to help enhance the experience for our students. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier um, in our bit about uh, Catholic education and building relationships, and that last bit with the virtual schools um, helps the schools really um, build those relationships. So we build relationships within the communities, um, and also build those relationships across schools now, in, in a way that may not have been able to happen previously, because like you were saying, um, you do have a teacher in the South, maybe, who's doing biology. And um, you have students up north who, for whatever reason, may not be able to take biology at their physical school they're at. They're able to still now reach out to their greater Catholic family. There's a, there's a teacher down south who can teach that course for our students up north, out east, and out west a little bit, um, and continue to work together. And now uh, we just had a, a, we brought all those kids together recently and just so they can meet face to face, get to know each other in a, in a, in a more traditional way, so to speak. Um, but they've known each other for the past year or so virtually. And I'm like, oh, I know all about you. They're like friends. It's not like the first day of camp you've never met anybody. And you're just like, oh, I don't know you. This is the first day of camp and I already know you. Let's, let's go play ball or let's um, you know, go do arts and crafts, what have you. And um, it's just a different, it's another experience we've added for those kids and hopefully for our schools that um, works well and then from that experience we always improve looking to improve how do we continue to build on that relationship and make stronger bonds for our students across the state um, which has been I think been really good for our teachers and our students that's great yeah it's giving me warm fuzzies <laughs> um, what role has um, human-centered design played in your work because you guys seem to be you know very empathic and sort of community and um, community sort of focus, but mm -hmm. making sure that when you're designing things, you're bringing people on the journey. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, a good question. Um, so, you know, uh, early on, we knew that um, in order to get people on board, um, they needed to feel as they were a part of it, right? And the best way to do that is to reach out to them and uh, just make them a part of the process. And so uh, we started uh, with a lot of uh, workshopping, um, you know, uh, in figuring out, trying to figure out um, what were some of the challenges that they were facing? Um, and then what are some of the ways, um, if, you know, in a perfect world they could have anything, what would that be? And so uh, we brought uh, folks, you know, at all levels, right? From students to teachers to principals, uh, admin staff, leadership, et cetera. Um, and the idea was, you know, just simply, we started by just asking them, what are, what are some of your challenges? You know, and sometimes that's the best way to start because that's just, it's kind of a venting, you know, exercise, right? Yeah. Uh, but once they get it all out, 
know, then you can start to focus in on, all right, well, what do you want to do about it? What can we do about it? And so uh, that's how we started. Um, and we started, you know, thinking about um, all of these different, uh, all the different ideas that came through. Um, and then, you know, trying to really pin down, you know, what are some of the core things that we want to do as a system? So if you can imagine, you know, out of these workshops uh, where we've had, you know, hundreds of people coming, um, we had hundreds of, you know, ideas uh, floating around, but we whittled them down to kind of eight core ideas. And within each of those eight core ideas, um, then we started to unpack what, what those things would be, you know. So, you know, if you think about the student journey as an example, you know, we, we think about, all right, well, if, if, uh, if a student comes into Catholic education, say they come in as, uh, you know, as a primary school student, um, what is their journey, you know, as they stay within our system until the time they graduate and when they become alumni? What does that look like? And so we map those out. We call those student journeys. And then, uh, at, you know, once we see that, we can then see uh, intersection points of where uh, the technology, right, uh, could help enhance those experiences at those points in time. And then we ask ourselves, well, in what ways can, can it do that? And, you know, what are the current ways in which it does? What are the ways in which it could be better, right? What are ways in which we haven't really thought about, you know, doing them? And so all of that comes through those workshops. And so when you give uh, folks an opportunity to um, kind of expand on their experiences um, and think about new ways of, you know, uh, doing what they do, then that's where you get a lot of the idea generation coming from. Once you get those, um, then you go through a process of, you know, prioritizing, you know, what is it that we want to do? How do we want to do it? How fast can we do it? Um, and then you do more of the operational things, you know, what's the budget that we have? What is the timeline that we have? All that kind of stuff. Um, but doing that early on um, helps to build a lot of that trust, right? And, you know, it's not for everyone, right? Um, typically, uh, when you have these type of workshops, uh, the folks that you'll often get are going to be your champions anyway, right? These are going to be your, your leading edge people that um, are very accustomed to, uh, you know, changing and, and being at the front end of, of, of change. Um, but these are the, the folks that you want to invest your time in, right? Oftentimes, I think what happens with any type of transformation is you, you get so bogged down on the squeaky wheels um, that you realize that you're spending so much time on them. And typically, that's a small group of people, right? They just happen to be the loudest, but they're a small group of people. That you forget about the larger group, which are all folks that um, want to take this journey with you, right? So what we want to do is we want to focus on that larger group. Right? And how do we make those, those experiences better? And we use these, these champions as kind of our evangelists you know, to spread that message in their own communities. Um, and so for us, you know, it's, it's always been that way. Um, you know, does that go against um, some of the more um, uh, traditional views uh, that may exist? Yes, it does. <laughs> and so we always have to uh, tread the line, I guess, so to speak, uh, to make sure that you know, we um, are cognizant of um, you know, rules and policies and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, being really thoughtful about making sure that you know, what we're building, we're building for our community, not for um, you know, any type of process that we think needs to happen. And so when you do that, you get a bigger uptake of, of uh, adoption. Um, so I'll share just one example with you. Um, for us, we standardize on a particular platform, and uh, there's uh, some tools within the platform that are, that are quite interesting. One of them uh, is called uh, Teams, and Teams basically is a tool that allows you to bring together groups of people in, in a virtual space um, and then um, have conversations uh, in that space, uh, be able to share files, collaborate on files, etc. But then you can connect that space to other uh, tools or services that you may be using. So the value add for a teacher is that, okay, I have one tool that basically brings all of these other experiences into this one area. So I only have to go to this one place. That minimizes uh, their time and effort in having to jump from service to service to get what they need. Um, and so the other is the ease of which they can connect with others, right? So whereas before our 162 schools were basically disconnected from one another, it's very difficult for teachers to communicate, let alone collaborate with one another. Now, because they're all under this, this one system, then that becomes uh, really, really easy for them. So you can then take advantage of this collective wisdom that exists, right? Um, and so for us, um, you know, uh, to get to that point, though, we needed to make sure that we uh, introduced a tool 
uh, in a way that um, allowed them to see the value add, right, or the quick win. And we used our um, champions to do that. So we had a group of about 200 early adopters. Um, you know, we just put, all a call, put out a call to the community saying, hey, we have this new tool. If you're interested in using, using it, let us know. And so we had about 200 teachers say, hey, you know, they raise their hand, I want to I try this. Yeah. And so we just turned it on, right? And in the IT world, um, you know, turning it on is not a good thing, <laughs> right? Um, but we went ahead and turned it on. And, um, and so these teachers, you know, they started using it. And what we found was that, um, you know, even though the tool was um, not as mature as it is now, uh, you know, they started thinking about all these different ways in which they could use it. What that provided two avenues for us. One, um, to help us understand um, how that tool could be adopted with, uh, you know, with the greater community. The other was to provide opportunities to um, help the developers think about you know, features that could be more useful um, as they made the tool more mature. And so um, these, these evangelists, these early adopters then, um, were basically our, our voice on the street, so to speak who you know, would tell their colleagues, right? And so it was kind of a homegrown um, way of getting people on board. So we, that was about two years ago. So if we forward that to today, um, you know, about 90% of our schools now are using this tool. Um, and they're using it in ways that we never thought you know, it could be used. Um, and it's, it's one of our more popular tools, right? And so you have this vibrant community of teachers out there who are helping one another. You know, when they have questions, when they have uh, ideas, suggestions as to how they might use it, how they use it with their own students, um, how they use it um, as uh, professional learning communities, right, amongst uh, colleagues. Um, and so, you know, using this, this, early, this, this group of early adopters uh, really helped to accelerate that push, right, at that adoption rate. And that all stems from the idea of, you know, we could have spent a lot of time thinking about, all right, what is the policy that we have to write? What is the governance that we have to do? And you know, what are the technical things that we have to lock down so that teachers don't do this, that, and the other, right? And we could spend you know, a year, two years figuring that out so it's all the way that it needed to be. Um, or we could have just said, all right, well, um, we're gonna turn it on and see what happens, right? Um, and that's what we did, right? And um, you know, because of that, we've got the adoption that we have. now. Uh, it's not all rosy, <laughs> right? Uh, there were certainly some challenges along the way, um, but you deal with those, right? Um, and in, in dealing with those, uh, you, you're able to see that, you know, having to fix uh, a small set of problems is a lot more efficient for us, at least, than spending a whole lot of time at the front end, right? Thinking about the perfect way to, you know, uh, deploy this, as opposed to just, you know, doing what we did. Now. Uh, you know, when we tell people our story in, in that sense, they, they sometimes look at us funny because, you know, you just don't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you also have the issue, the, another issue, while there are similar tools that were out there and Teams wasn't as mature as some of those other tools, this was a tool we brought in-house, and how can you write governance on a tool that hadn't been used in this system before, right? So by getting it out there and learning how people are going to use it naturally, then it helps guide you a little bit along the lines of, oh, here are the pitfalls we need to watch out for when we're starting to build that whole governance um, plan and policy in that this year, next year, et cetera. And how should that policy mature as the system matures, right? Things like that. Whereas before, you're just gonna bang your head against a wall with, with no feedback because no one's in the system yet. Mm. I think the other thing we had, um, so I think sometimes in education, we focus really on teachers and principals. But there's other, a lot of other stakeholders within schools that don't get a lot of um, uh, airtime, so to speak. Mm. And uh, with, the, with the teams, um, you have, let's say, the person who works the front desk and greets your, your, you know, your moms and dads every day and your parents every day. But they're one or two people and that's, it's just them at that, at that desk. Whereas a teacher has all the different teachers within their school. As a community to pull from, so to speak, and our our officers, those officers, admin officers, enrollment officers, finance may only have themselves in that school that do the same job they do, so to speak, right? But now with Teams and some of the other technology, we're able to bring together across 162 schools uh, people of like roles who, yeah, they connect on network day once or twice a year physically, but they aren't there connecting every day. So when a big, let's say, 
for us, a big um, policy came down, or a big law change actually came down uh, from Australian government, and it affected those roles. Okay, well, we got to get that right. Yes, we do a traditional everything we do to make sure we train everybody up on it and make sure they're across it, but there's still always going to be struggles when you're trying to make changes um, for compliance sake. And who do I reach out to? Yes, you can have a somewhat compliance officer for the whole region or the whole system, but it's still kind of slow. And so for this group, it was easy. We just put them all in a team. We start working together. It was slow at first because they'd never done it, but now they're just, anytime they have a question about any of the systems they're using, they're not waiting on one person to answer this question for everybody. They're reaching out to each other, and now they're starting to see the benefit of, well, in my school, this is how we do process X, Y, Z. And then another person goes, well, this is how we do that process. And they now they're connecting like, oh, this one's more efficient. Maybe we should adopt it. And they're starting to find efficiencies across the schools that they can adopt within their own school, which they weren't doing as widely as before, which is actually nice for us. Very cool. I remember one of my um, best experiences um, in the last couple of years with the digital digital sort of transformation education was I was working um, for an engineering firm and they had a sort of STEAM um, volunteering program where they wanted sort of engineers and scientists to get out into schools and we did some really really fun projects um, but we we're often really time poor mm. uh, so we worked as one of the teachers there to set up I think it was at Edmodo but a, a little online um, classroom and, yeah. and we could sort of sit at our desk or I'd, I'd pull a long day in the office and then um, I'd sort of jump over to the platform at the end of, end of the day and, and answer the questions of projects they were working on or um, kids could even ask, you know, what, what did you design or build today? And it, it was really cool. Um, and I think even from hearing from your guys' story, you know, that, that, that those were warm fuzzies of digital technology used right. Um, you know, when we're, we live in really busy, we, we live in a time where, where we, we get really busy and, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's a little story for me. Um, <laughs> What about, I saw some really cool things from your presentation, Juno, on um, data science analytics. Do you want to talk a bit to that about how you guys are using data science analytics to drive what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, uh, we're not unlike many other systems that have a ton of data. Um, And so, you know, because there's so much data, it's very difficult to kind of pin down um, exactly what it is that uh, that data can offer you. And so um, we had uh, data sources, um, databases, basically, in all sorts of places. And so, you know, trying to make sense of all of our data was very, very difficult. So as part of this project, then, uh, we're bringing all of this data together um, into a, a central repository, basically. Um, and then thinking about how we best democratize that data, right? How do we give access to that data to all constituents that need that data? And so, um, you know, th- this not only works at the system level, uh, but then also all the way down through to the student level. Right? So students should be able to see, um, you know, learning data about what they're learning, right? Um, so that they can make better informed decisions about where to go to next. Um, you know, same thing with parents and, and teachers as well. And so uh, what we're doing is um, not only bringing together um, academic data, um, which is, you know, traditionally the type of data that most, most systems look at, uh, but we're also looking at you know things like attendance data, things like well-being data, right? Uh, things like um, um, sentiment data. You know how are students getting? How do they feel today, right? Things like that. And uh, by bringing all of these pieces together, it's giving us a, a more rich picture of who that child is, right? Um, not that not just that child, but you know that professional. So for that teacher, you know, um, what are some of the uh, trainings that they're a part of? What are some of the professional networks that they're a part of? Um, you know, how are they uh, trending in terms of uh, the kinds of things that they're collaborating and sharing with across the system? And how does all that then paint a picture of who that, that child or that child, that teacher is? Uh, and then how do we then at the system level take that opportunity uh, to look at those data points and say, all right, well, based on what's actually happening, right? Um, how do we provide better um, opportunities? you know, for professional growth for teachers? How do we provide better opportunities for programs that can help students in these areas? And so as you think about, you know, uh, data and, and specifically evidence is, you know, you, you have to take that evidence and that, that evidence, or excuse me, that data, that data has to turn into some type of, of evidence, right? 
that evidence then has to turn into some type of insight that you glean from that evidence. But the most important part is, is the last bit, which is how do you take that insight then and turn it into action, actionable steps that you can take, right? Because it's all well and good to have the data. It's all well and good to have, you know, pretty dashboards and visuals, et cetera. But if you can't do something purposeful and meaningful with that data, then that data serves no purpose. And so for us, um, you know, we're still early in, in our maturity stage uh, in terms of using uh, the data in those ways, um, you know, both technically and, and just from an analysis point of view. But what we feel is that um, all, all of the data that we generate um, to provide some of this insight then can be um, another way for teachers to get information that they need, right? Now that's, that's not the only type of information, but that's one, one form of information that can help them. Um, and whether you're a teacher, principal, an admin officer, finance officer, whatever the case may be, um, the idea here is that you should have access um, to data so that you can make better informed decisions about um, your, your role, right? So at the system uh, or even at the policy level, you know, uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, and I say this broadly <laughs> and generally, um, you know, oftentimes we make policy decisions based on opinion. Right, or based on um, information that you know we hear or read about, but uh, oftentimes uh, we don't often, um, uh, I guess, investigate or interrogate. I guess would be a better word, right? Interrogate that that evidence. Where does it come from? Why is it there? And so, um, for us, you know, that's that's where we're at right now. Is looking at that, thinking about ways of you know interrogating that data. Uh, why why is it useful? How is it useful? and then building some action behind it. And so um, we're really uh, excited about you know, where, where this is gonna take us. Uh, the platform allows us to do some deeper level analysis. So we can, do, we can use some AI um, and some machine learning to give us uh, some forward thinking or some forward looking, I should say, data. So you know, traditionally you look at historical data, things that have happened in the past, but what we wanna look at is you know, how can that, that historical data help inform the future of what's, what's, what may happen. Right? And you can do these um, certainly through some predictive modeling. Um, but even there, you know, you have to make sure that um, at all times you have a, um, a quote-unquote human touch, right? Um, the, the, the algorithms can only show you and give you so much. Um, there's always got to be some type of human intervention to, be, to make better sense of what it is that, you know, uh, those algorithms are, are, are showcasing. So, you know, um, we're, we're excited about that. Again, we're in our early stages, um, but the platform, um, because, of the, because the platform now is, is you know, uh, a holistic whole, or a holistic, um, let me say how I can say this, it's, it's a way in which we've brought all of these pieces together holistically, <laughs> then uh, we're better able to tap into, you know, these different data sources um, to give us, you know, better insights, I guess, into what we need. I think with that, um, so as you say, we're in our um, early stages with that, but also um, with the human touch, it comes where we start um, helping people understand when we start pushing out this data to them, what, it, what does it actually mean um, when you look at a data point? Because, you know, sometimes you can interpret data. One person interprets it one way, another interprets it another, and then there's what the data actually says, um, and that will be another uh, journey that we'll have with our with our schools as we move forward whether it's um from the appropriate appropriate way uh, appropriate way to use it but most efficient way to use data um, within your role or most efficient or how to best present data to um, a leader of some type or to a like, advisory board to help them understand where you are as a school or as a teacher or as a um, officer and then how can they how can they better advise you how can your peers better advise you how can you better advise yourself <laughs> and then um, how can the, the, the system as a whole better help the individual entities as well yeah yeah we, we have a something we call the uh, Tufts which is a an instrument that we use it's 200 question inventory it's um, the technology user and perception survey and uh, we use this with schools um, and it's a survey that they give to their teachers um, on any number of different uh, uh, topics right ranging from access to technology to their perceptions of the use of that technology um, to the types of tools that they see uh, or they see themselves using, uh, both from their perspective and the student's perspective. And interestingly, um, when we work with schools, uh, we ask them, you know, um, how do you think you're doing? 
you know, as a community with technology, and so they have, you know, their opinions on, on what they see. And then the teachers do the survey. And in some cases, you know, um, their opinions align quite well with what the survey results say. Uh, and oftentimes it, it just doesn't, they're, too, they're two different things. And so that's, an, that's again, an eye-opener for a lot of leadership, school leadership, uh, because sometimes, you know, what you observe isn't necessarily what's actually happening or what's perceived to be happening. And so this is where, you know, that type of evidence is useful, right? Uh, because it's a conversation starter. Um, and then it can help pinpoint um, ways in which you can then accelerate some of the ways uh, of taking action for, for your teachers, um, you know, to help them along in their, in their, in their journey. Yeah. yeah, as a leader, you have that intuition about where your school is going or what you need to do in your role and uh, all those under you, but I can look at this analytics as a way to help augment that, that self-intuition or that intuition you have. Yeah, very cool. We might, I might wrap it up with the last the closing question. And sort of in the theme of the podcast is, it's a bit of fun, but it's sort of um, talking about this idea of Perth becoming a brilliant city. Yeah. And I think you guys are, are two brilliant people that are doing some, some amazing work with uh, Catholic education. But um, what's your take on what would make Perth a brilliant city and maybe a bit about the future of education? Uh, yeah. Well, um, I guess I'll start by just saying that, you know, uh, <laughs> When I first uh, got the opportunity to come to Australia, um, you know, back home, uh, Americans, when when you when they talk about Australia, they think about two places, Sydney and Melbourne, <laughs> right? That's about it. So when they told me, yeah, you'd be coming to Perth, I had never heard of Perth before. And so I had to look on a map and, and figure out what Perth was, which is great. Uh, the other thing that uh, uh, most Americans don't understand is how big Australia is. So um, in, my, in my infinite ignorance about Australia, you know, uh, I remember them saying, well, you know, you'll be living in Perth. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, I could live in Sydney and just commute to Perth. You know, would that work? You know, because that, that's how bad my ignorance is, right? And not realizing that uh, it's, it's just as big as our country. But, um, you know, coming to Perth has been um, one of the, the best experiences I've had in my career. Um, I think uh, just generally, um, it's a beautiful city. Um, and and they're, they're, uh, it's a beautiful community of people here. Uh, you know, people, uh, you know, Ezra and I always say, uh, they're just so nice here. Uh, you know, they're very welcoming, very open, um, and there's a lot of smart people here, which is the other great thing. Uh, you have a really vibrant community of um, thinkers, you know, that, that um, challenges all the time, um, not just, you know, in the education space, but, um, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to speak with folks, leaders in, in other sectors. And so, you know, for me, um, I think uh, Perth being so remote, you know, it's sometimes difficult for, for folks to get down here, but, um, or, or for, you know, you to go to, to other places. But uh, we've, we've had several visitors from other countries here um, looking at some of the work that we've been doing. And it's been really great to see their reaction, um, you know, in terms of looking at what um, Catholic education has, has been doing um, and, and, you know, saying to themselves, you know, these, these are some models that we can use, you know, in our own, in our own systems, our own countries. More broadly speaking, in, in education in Australia, you know, it's, it's seen as one of the top education uh, systems in the world uh, because, you know, Australia has done a lot of uh, very innovative things for a long time. You know, uh, you guys had the first one-to-one uh, -one program here. Uh, you know, it started at uh, Methodist Ladies College, I believe, in Melbourne. Um, and, and, you know, you have uh, it, it, some great academics uh, who have been looking at, you know, the idea of just teaching and learning in general for a long time, uh, but then also thinking about, you know, how technology fits um, in, into those experiences. So for us, you know, for me specifically, you know, uh, it's, it's been great uh, learning from these folks, uh, learning from, you know, the community that exists here in Perth. Um, I love the fact that, you know, um, Perth is, is a type of town that's, uh, small enough where you don't get lost, you know, you know everyone, but it's big enough, you know, to where you can spread out. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I really enjoy that. Um, you know, I come from back home in a large city where uh, it, it's so large that, you know, it's just too large, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you get lost in the shuffle. And when you when you go and, and try to work for a system and try to make that change, it's, it's sometimes daunting uh, because, you know, it's just it's such a huge behemoth. Uh, but, but here, I think there's not only a, a beautiful sense of, of community, um, but for us specifically in Catholic, uh, Catholic education, 
uh, we have you know a lot of folks here who uh, are very open and, and, and honest um, you know about the types of change um, and the vision that they have for themselves as professionals but then also for their students that just makes uh, you know my work a lot a lot easier now yeah I agree I, I like I like Perth especially coming um, so for me I come coming from Florida uh, Tampa which is a you know, on a bay, um, beach town, similar to Perth, but it's um, a lot more humid. So I, I like it here. It's a little drier, and you can enjoy it. But um, everything you'd want in a city is, is kind of here that you need, and it's, and it's very nice and clean. What I think as far as um, education is concerned, what I've been noticing as our project moves along, is that there are some new opportunities in education um, from a job perspective or from a uh, what do I want to do with my life perspective that people may not have considered before and like we were talking about the data analytics and how much we're doing and other systems are starting to do as well across Australia um, with um, uh, child well-being, duty of care, uh, finances and everything. Um, I really think it's a good time for, peop for people who are wanting to fighting their careers, starting their careers into data analytics teaching, et cetera, to really, to really look at uh, what we're doing, what some other systems are doing across Australia, just because I think it's going to get very interesting in the next couple of years. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, do you know, Hazard, thanks for your time. Thanks yeah, for thank joining you. us on the show. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us. If you find this podcast valuable, then please subscribe and leave me a review on your podcasting platform of choice. If you'd like to recommend a future topic or a brilliant guest, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via our website at holonic.com.au or via my personal LinkedIn page. That's it, Holons. Have a brilliant week and we'll see you next week.